Why, oh why, are we going to spend a whole week now talking about temptation? Surely there must be more comfortable topics to speak about, more edifying things and pleasing things to speak of. Well, that's one way to look at it, but the way that I see it, why is it that we have to do a prayer of confession every week? (laughs) Well, I think if we're honest with it, it's... I think that tells us we're not doing a great job resisting temptation in the first place. I think not all of us, but since none of us are, clearly none of us are handling this whole temptation thing right, I think it would be, we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we don't pause and take a look at what the Bible speaks about temptation, trials, and sin. But as we begin, I actually want to take a step back before we take a step forward this morning and look at the big picture of what Matthew is writing in Matthew 4. See, Matthew is writing his gospel primarily to show the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies and the prophetic foreshadowings we we spoke of in weeks prior. Um, And, you know, those, those... not prophecies, but moments in the Old Testament where there's a parallel in the New Testament that Jesus fulfills the whole picture for us. And one of those foreshadowings is right here in Matthew chapter 4, very interestingly paralleling Genesis chapter 3, the temptation and fall of Adam and Eve. You see, Adam fell into sin in Genesis 3, After one temptation in the garden, in a perfect environment. And here Jesus is surviving three tests in the wilderness without sin after fasting for 40 days. That's a fascinating parallel. And the point of this parallel is that we would see that Jesus was like Adam. And that he faced these temptations against Satan and his lies. And yet he was different than Adam. And that he overcame them as a new type of man that he was. As 1 Corinthians 15.22 tells us, for, in, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Our human efforts only brought forth sin and death. When Jesus brings us salvation and restoration. You know, it's funny, if the Lord tarries... I'll end up saying this a thousand times from behind this pulpit. You know, if we are missing Jesus when we read the Old Testament, we're missing the point. Jesus is the central focus, the main thesis of all of Scripture. He doesn't just show up halfway through the book. He is there on every page. If you know he's there and you know to look for him. So... Moving forward, though, in the last chapter, Matthew 3, Jesus was identifying with us in his baptism. As we identify with Christ when we go under the water, so also Jesus identified with us when he was baptized, identifying with, our, with his humanity, identifying with the people he would go to the cross to save. And in Matthew 4, as we pick up this morning, Jesus is now identifying with us not just in his humanity, but in our temptations, in our weaknesses, in our struggle against sin. Hebrews 4 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, 
yet without sin. Let's think about what that means for a second. What temptations do you have in your life? What sins do you struggle against? When we prayed our prayer of confession as part of our liturgy this morning, what came to mind? Whatever that thing is for you individually, the Bible tells us that the Lord himself was tempted with that as well, yet without sin. He faced exactly what you face. And yet he also invites us to come before him as that verse continues that says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we need not be ashamed when coming to the Father, when coming to Jesus to find strength to resist that temptation because he understands it or whether it be to find forgiveness. He invites us to come with confidence to his throne of grace. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. So anyway, who led Jesus into temptation? The answer might surprise us as we took another look at verse 1 that says, when G- Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's interesting that Our first reading this morning tells us that the Holy Spirit tempts no one. But yet he will allow us to be tempted. He will allow us to be tempted. Because not all temptation in every sense of the word is bad. Think about it. What happens when we face temptations? When we struggle against sin? Well, prayerfully we resist it. Prayerfully we overcome it. Um, And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The more we resist, the better we get at resisting. The better we get at resisting temptation, the more we live our life sanctified, set apart to God. The more our lives look like the life that God has called us to. It's like lifting weights. You know, it's not pleasant at the time. But as you move those muscles, that resistance builds muscle. So too, Struggling against sin builds spiritual muscle for us. The Holy Spirit will allow us to be tempted for our betterment as it builds us our spiritual resistance against sin. No, the the only reason you should be concerned is if you don't face any temptation. Is if you're struggling against nothing, then you're just going along with everything. The person who doesn't struggle against any temptation is just giving in to every sin as it has opportunity. It's been said that any dead fish can just float downstream. It takes something that has life in it and strength in it to swim against the, way, the waters that are moving in the opposite direction. It takes something with life inside of it to do that. So if you're not facing any temptations this morning or this season, that's actually a bad sign. So don't be ashamed if you are. We all are who are engaged in this battle. But that being said, we still pray, you know, lead us not into temptation. (laughs) And there's a reason for that. You know, there's a flip side to it. It's not just resistance. There's the chance of falling into sin. We don't want that either. But... um, The problem is, 
too often we lead ourselves into temptation. Too often it's not the Holy Spirit, but our own desires. As James 1 warns us, we are lured by our own desires and enticed. We let our tempers get out of control. We go onto websites that Christians have no business going on to. We ask questions to intentionally fuel our pride rather than seeking humility. So let's be honest when we pray that prayer. Yes, lead us not into temptation. Yes, deliver us from evil. But deliver me from the evil in my heart. Deliver me from my own proclivity to be drawn to sin like a moth is drawn to the flame. But what did Jesus do? How did he stand up against the devil in his time of temptation? Verse 3 begins to tell us that when the tempter came in, he said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's wrong with turning stones into bread? That's a good question, actually. And it's a very subtle temptation, as many of our temptations are. Now, at the heart of this, it's testing Jesus whether he was fully submitted to the Father. He was submitted to God, to God the Father as a man. And God the Father had not provided Jesus with bread in the wilderness. So, it wasn't his will for Jesus to eat yet. Would Jesus insist upon his own will over the Father? Well, how did Jesus, that was the subtlety of the test. And how did Jesus face it? He was prepared to face the lies of the devil because he knew the truth of God's word. And let me tell you guys, I could not be more encouraged by this truth. You know, he didn't face this using his deity, his God power. He faced this trial as a man to give you and I hope this morning. Think about it. Jesus could have, in his power as God, when facing the tempter, could have just beamed him into another galaxy and said, Be gone, get out of here. And that would have been cool. That would have been interesting to see. But I wouldn't have any hope to give you guys this morning. Because we can't do that, can we? <laughs> Rather, he, fa he faced this trial as a man and refuted the subtle lie of the devil because he knew the truth of God's word. Changing the subject, showing it's not about the bread, it's about the will of God. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that's the trick of this. When you know the truth of Scripture, you are not as easily led astray by the counterfeit the tempter will provide for you. Now, nobody can spot a counterfeit like a banker, like a counterfeit $100 bill, if you've ever seen one of those. You know, it's, it's interesting that in all of their training to be able to spot the counterfeits, they don't tell them to study the counterfeits because they're all different. There's so many different variations. They're told to study the real thing. 
And those who really know the business know every nook and cranny, every square centimeter of those $100 bills. They know like the back of their hand. They know the fonts. They know the watermarks. They know the cool things you, that show up on it when you put it under a UV light. They're familiar with all of those things. So they can spot that uh, counterfeit a mile away. Even if it's a variation they've never seen before, they know, hold on, that's not right. Because they know what the truth is. And that's our... That's our encouragement today. We should be so familiar with what the truth of God's word is so that when the enemy or our own desires point us to a counterfeit, we'll know something is up. So that's my challenge to you guys this morning, actually. What scriptures do you have stored up in your heart for the sin and temptation that you individually struggle against? If you struggle against pride, do you know what the Bible says about pride? If you struggle with, what about lust, jealousy, envy, lying, or anger? Whatever your particular lot is, that's your homework to research this week. Find out what the Bible says and store up what that says so that we are on guard against these moments of temptation. And to offer you guys a quick cheat... It's amazing what happens when you go to Google and you just start typing in, what does the Bible say about blank? It's amazing what comes up. But Jesus continues to show us the power of his word as we continue in verse 5. As it says, Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And it said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This temple, sorry, this temple test, as I like to call it, is what I like to call an artificial crisis. An artificial crisis. One you create on your own, or one you don't do take reasonable means to get out of. Forcing God, if you will, to help you out of this crisis that you've essentially created for yourself. It's the story you guys have heard a thousand times because I've told it to you a thousand times. The old proverbial story of a man who gets caught in a flood and he's stuck at his house and a truck comes by and he offers to save him and he says, no, the Lord's gonna save me. And then a boat comes by as the flood waters rise and then a helicopter comes as the waters rise. And he keeps saying, no, 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 God's gonna save me. And then when he meets his maker, inevitably, uh, he has the audacity to ask God, why didn't you save me? having been given so many outs that God then tells him about. That he sent the helicopter, he sent the boat. I sent you all of this. You didn't take what I provided. It's an artificial crisis. You know, last year when we reopened the church, you know, I was the one standing up here from this pulpit saying that God was going to protect us from this coronavirus. Saying that, you know, hey, we're not promised tomorrow. 10 out of 10 people are eventually going to die. Someday, somehow. But I believe God was going to protect us. And he very much did. But we were all still wearing masks. We're all still socially distancing. We're being cautious. Because we don't want to put the Lord to the test in all of this. 
We wanted to be wise. Furthermore, you didn't see me take the next flight to Wuhan, China and see me hugging everybody. I wasn't going to put God to the test like that. We ought to be reasonable in how we live our lives, not putting God to the test. And that's what exactly what's being called for here. By the way, this is also one of those places where knowing your Bible really comes in handy. Because Satan omitted part of the verses he's quoting from Psalm 91 in this passage. The whole verse says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. That changes the meaning of this verse. It's not just assurance of physical safety that this passage is talking about, but rather that that God guides those who trust him so they will not deviate from God's ways. That's a big omission. That changes the meaning of that verse. And that should serve a caution to us. Satan will rip verses out of context to tempt you. Rip it out of context, misquote them, leave a part out, all to lead you astray. Again, Genesis chapter 3, what did Satan tell Eve back then? Oh, did God really say? Oh, you will not surely die. It's the same old lie. And it's still very much alive today. It happens all the time. You know, don't just believe something because somebody says, oh, it's in the Bible. Check to see if it's there. Check to see. Even, don't even take my word for it. See for yourselves if the things that I'm saying from this pulpit are really in God's word. Make sure all of it is there. Not, and that I'm not leaving parts out or if I'm quoting something out of context. Sadly, it happens all the time. Some big-name preachers that most of you probably know do this all the time. Misquoting scripture, leaving parts of it out because it better fits their theology. It really is a tragedy. But I need to learn from Jesus this morning is how he handled this temptation. He doesn't waste time explaining to Satan that he's doing, that he's misquoting the Bible. He's not spending, wasting time saying, oh, you're doing bad hermeneutics. He doesn't get into the weeds of the argument. He just puts a better scripture out there and moves on with the conversation. He says, nope, that's not how it is. I need to learn how to do that. Rather than getting in the weeds of the argument, just quote the Bible in its, in its context and move on. Really could have saved me a lot of time the last time a Jehovah's Witness came to my house. But lastly, in verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, all these things I give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now clearly we all know what the right answer is. But the legitimate temptation that Satan is offering Jesus is to bypass the cross. You know, the Bible says that Satan is the god of this world, that he is the prince of the power of the air. That, you know, the world is under the sway of the devil. All those things are true. And what he is saying is, 
to, to Jesus is, you know, why go through all the pain, the suffering and torment of the cross to ransom back this world, to ransom back your people? I will give it to you if you will just bow down and worship me. Offering an illegitimate means for a legitimate desire. And that's something we are all prone to. A legitimate desire is we want to relax. After a long day at the office or a long day at the job, we want to relax. That's a legitimate desire. But when we become dependent on that drink we have to help us relax, now that's become an illegitimate means. Now that's become dangerous. But Jesus did not take that bait. He trusted in the Father's plans and endured the cross because of the joy set before him to do things the right way, to ransom back the world to himself. And he didn't fall for this illegitimate trick that he tried to pull on him. My time is gone for me, but the one last point we're going to make is the last verse that we're going to cover, verse 11, which is one of the most frequently forgotten parts about temptation, where it says in verse 11, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Whatever temptation you are resisting against or fighting against this season, the devil will eventually leave and God will eventually minister to you. Every trial and temptation has an end date. We forget that sometimes. We start using universal language describing our situation. Oh, I'm always going to be fighting this. I'm always going to be this way. I'm never going to be free from this thing. And that's when we get wearied. That's when we're more prone to yield to that temptation. That's when we're more prone to give up. But that's a lie. The truth is eventually the devil will leave and God will minister to you in that area. You know, in my many years of intense study of the Bible, I've come to a very fascinating observation that I want to impart to you this morning. Might want to get your notes for this one. Might want to get a pen. You see, after Matthew chapter 4 is Matthew chapter 5. I know, really profound, right? <laughs> That's your seminary dollars at work. After Matthew chapter 4, the trial and temptation of Jesus is Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Just a little bit afterwards, half a chapter later. There is an end to the temptation. It passes and brighter days and fruitful ministry arrive. If you can endure through the temptation, better times are coming. The passion will leave. The tempter will leave. And God can do amazing things after the trial and the storm has ended. So, as Paul encouraged his fellow laborers in 2 Thessalonians 3, do not grow weary in doing good. So too, let us not grow weary in fighting our temptations. Let us do as Jesus did. Standing on God's word. Trusting on his promises. To provide, storing up his word in our hearts that we will not sin against him. And when inevitably we fall, when inevitably we fail, 
That's when that verse we started with this all comes back. Hebrews 4, that we have a high priest who understands our trials, who was there in the weeds with us being tempted. He knows what we feel. He knows what we struggle against as individuals. And he invites us to cast our cares upon him, to obtain strength to fight against it. And at the same time, grace and mercy, forgiveness for when we fail. Jesus is everything to us in that regard. Thanks be to God. Amen.